Warning, this podcast features graphic content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello again, Nightmare Society, and welcome to another episode of True Horror Stories. Big trigger warning, particularly for anyone sensitive to content referencing abusive relationships and extremely dangerous dating situations. Thanks so much to our contributors, user Crazy Turtle Mama user Lively Monstera and user Anon847482 for sharing their stories with us. Don't forget, uh, Nightmare Society is a weekly podcast. We release every Thursday, sometimes Friday. It's available pretty much anywhere you can download or listen slash stream whatever to a podcast. So Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, etc., etc., And don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can get episode notifications for when those episodes do at some point go out. Uh, You can also follow us on YouTube as well. That houses some of our older content that is no longer available on the podcast apps. Or if you'd like, you can join our Patreon, which also houses our older um, content that you can stream through your preferred app. Now, get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. This took place about eight years ago. I had been single for a very long time. My kids kept telling me to get back into the swing of things, but I just kept making excuses. My nephew told me about this dating site. He said that there was no harm in talking to people, so I did it. I put everything out there so there were no surprises when or if they met me. I thought that if they still contacted me after reading all that I had described myself and we matched, then maybe I would have coffee with them. Well, I matched with a few and the conversation went well. I met with one gentleman who was way too regimental for my crazy life and kindly declined any more involvement with him. Another guy seemed too pushy and acted like I should be honored to be in his presence. But then there came who we call Richard. Now, please keep in mind I had a very low self-esteem at the time. That being said, Richard seemed great. We carried on conversations for hours. 
He lived an hour and a half away, so all we could really do was talk to each other. We talked about our kids, dreams, goals. My daughter even friended one of his sons on Facebook. I was a secretary for some self-help meetings in my town, and he was going to school to be a counselor. Perfect, right? We talked for at least four months, but after a while I noticed that he kept having small problems come up. Arguments with his mom, whom he was living with. No money for gas. His truck broke down. His oldest boy was mad at him. Just little things, you know. Not anything that would set me off, but it was his poor me to heck with it attitude. I tried to let that go and really be a positive influence in his life. His mother and boys loved me and told me that they had never seen him so happy. Time went on and we were still talking every day. I had an opportunity to come see him and of course my daughter went with me so she could meet his son in person as well. I took him and his son out to eat at the only little coffee shop in that town. He knew I was on a fixed income, but I paid anyway, because he was going to school and didn't have any kind of an income yet. We had a good time. We met at his son's house on a hilltop town. We were having such a good time that we didn't even notice that the snow was coming down hard and the roads were icing up. So my daughter and I stayed the night in one of the rooms. It seemed like the closer we got to his family, the more distant they became to him. It was odd. The next day the roads were clear, so we said our goodbyes and went home. But before we left, I received one extra hug from his son's mother-in-law. She whispered in my ear, Don't fall for him. I thought that maybe there was something she didn't like about me. That came out of left field. The next few days we didn't talk. I thought that was odd. Did I do something wrong? Someone from the self-help meeting told me that there was a man looking for me. She said he looked disheveled and smelled like alcohol. This was not a surprise to me because I had helped quite a few people get back on their feet. And maybe this one fell off the wagon and just needed to talk. As I was driving down my street, I saw a truck in my driveway that I didn't recognize at first. It was him. He found out where I lived and was sitting in front of my house. At first I was happy until I looked in his truck and saw him slumped over, reeking of booze. At that point, my fixed mode set in and I asked him to come in for some strong coffee. He told me that he had a blowout with his mother and she kicked him out and his boys won't talk to him. I got him some clean clothes and told him to take a shower. I figured we could sort it out the next day. In the meantime, I was taking him to a meeting. He sobered up and agreed to go, but the whole time at the meeting, my friends were acting like I had lost my mind. Did they see something I was blind of? We went back to my house and he seemed okay. Almost too okay. Like nothing at all had happened. My son pulled me aside and told me he didn't like him much, but I thought that maybe he was just being overprotective. I should have paid more attention. We went to the store because I wasn't prepared for the extra mouth. I bought four two liters of soda, a gallon of milk, and two monsters for both him and my son, some chips and other things for dinner. 
After we ate, we all watched some TV and headed off to bed. I let him sleep in the spare bed in my room, but in the middle of the night, he tried to get frisky. At that point, no. My grown kids were in the other room, and something just didn't sit well with me. Like he wasn't the same man he was before. The next morning, my daughter came running out of the bathroom angry. She said in a loud voice, someone pissed all over the toilet. He didn't say a word. Later, we were all eating breakfast, and he started to let food drop out of his mouth onto the table and floor, and was spitting food while he was talking. He took three two liters and drank them back to back, letting some run down his chin. What the hell? Then, yes, there is more. He took the remote and started to set future recordings for his favorite shows and deleting a few of my grandchildren's. He set recordings for weeks in advance. Wait, 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 what are you doing? This is not cool. I told him that, but he acted like I said nothing. Then he went to the refrigerator and told me that I had to go to the store and buy more soda and stuff because it was all gone. Like, it was gone. He even drank my son's monster and the whole gallon of milk. One day, mind you. Only one. At this point, my daughter was also livid, so she contacted his son, and he proceeded to tell her that Richard's mother kicked him out because he wouldn't get a job, and was stealing money and eating her out of house and home. His other son won't talk to him because he keeps asking for money and won't pay it back. He himself was mad at him for lying to me by telling me that he was going to school when he wasn't and using me as his next big meal ticket. Well, that was it. I got all this stuff together and took it back to his truck and asked him to leave. It doesn't end there. He had loosened some bolts on his transmission, making it impossible to move. He begged and pleaded for me to let him stay. He was at the point that snot was coming out of his nose. Good lord. He said that he just wanted to be close to me, and if that meant sleeping in his truck, then he would do that, and he couldn't live without me. Well, hell to the no. I called his oldest son and told them that if they didn't come with a tow truck and get their dad, his fate was not going to be nice. They arrived two hours later apologizing for their father's actions. We found out through his son that for many years he had gone through quite a few unhealthy relationships and took advantage of a lot of women that fell for his lies. He still tries to Facebook friend me to this day. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. I've told a few people in my life about this incident. I always look back and think about how I should have just listened to my gut. I should have never went out with him, or gone to his house. But I was 18, and an idiot. This story happened 17 years ago. During high school, I was a waitress at a small southern chain of pizza restaurants with a buffet. It was a super popular and always busy kind of place. The summer after I graduated, a cute guy came in and sat alone in my section. He ordered a beer and I checked his ID. He was 25 and his name was Mike. He was average height, had a nice build, spiky blonde hair, that was popular at the time. 
and he had a northern accent that I lightly poked fun at. He told me he was coaching soccer at my now previous high school. He came back to the restaurant a few times. I waited on him and he asked me out. I felt like something was off when Mike insisted on picking me up from my mother's house for the date. I lived in the country and liked to drive myself and meet in town if I went on a date. That way I could leave when I wanted. He absolutely wouldn't let it go and was so pushy about it I felt uncomfortable. He flipped the script and framed it as him being such a gentleman. I was too young to know how a nice guy treats a lady, but I insisted on meeting him in town. I felt funny but didn't know why. I look back and understand I was feeling anxious, but I didn't have a word for that then, and I just brushed it off and drove myself to meet him to a little Italian hole in the wall. Dinner is nice enough, and we began talking about books. Mike noticed I was going on about Jack Kerouac or whatever beatnik book I was reading that an older man in the restaurant was staring at me intently and wouldn't stop. The older man could have stared a hole right through me. I asked Mike why the man was staring at me. I didn't have anything remotely provocative on. I had on black dress pants and a long sleeve blouse with roses embroidered all over. I'll never forget what the blouse looked like. Nothing too crazy, not overly made up, nothing special. Mike made a point to describe what he believed the man was thinking and what he probably wanted to do. I don't get it, I asked. Men just can't help themselves, he said. He gave me a chilling look. I felt sick when he said that. I felt sicker as he began to talk about the book American Psycho and how men had vile urges that were only natural. The way he looked at me and licked his lips as he recited some grotesque parts of the book at the dinner table was one of the weirdest things I'd encountered. Well, not as weird as what happened next. Do you want to come to my apartment and have a glass of wine? He asked. I said no, that I had to get back home. But he kept pushing, 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 and finally I agreed. It sounded sophisticated and fun, and I had never drank wine before, so we drove separately back to his house. The next part goes by pretty quickly. We walk in, and there's no decorations or anything on the wall. Creepy. I just moved in, he says, and his bare-bones apartment he kept dark. He gives me a glass of wine, and I felt woozy pretty much quickly after a few small swallows. He asks me if I need to lay down, and I say yes. I feel so sick and strange, and words become hard to say. He laid me down on the bed, started kissing me, and my arms felt like lead. I couldn't pick them up to push him away. He tells me, Make like you're asleep, he whispers as he goes into an adjoining bathroom. I thought that phrase, make like, was so funny. Not pretend. Not act like. I don't know. I think it's one of the reasons I never forgot that. I laid there, staring at my blouse. I couldn't move my mouth. I couldn't move my arms, and all I could do was focus on those little roses scattered across the black lace on the floor. I had no idea what was happening as I heard him rifle through what sounded like a drawer of clinking metal objects. I became afraid for my life when I heard him laugh to himself. Something I don't know what you would call it, a survival instinct fear, anxiety, whatever, caused me to shoot straight up in that bed. 
I grabbed my shirt that he took without permission and without even putting it on, I ran to my car, which I kept unlocked in those days. I don't know how I drove myself home safely 15 minutes away, but I did, and just got home and cried. I didn't tell my mom about me drinking or him taking off my top, just that it was creepy and I heard him rummaging through metal objects and I knew I had to leave. I never saw or heard from him again. A few months later, my mom picks up my little sister from the same high school I went to and mentions my weird date with the soccer coach to the office lady, as she knew her well. Before that school year ended, she informed my mother Mike had gotten fired for lewd emails and possibly sexual relationships with multiple underage girls. Mike was not charged. He merely moved away, and no one ever heard about him again. I'm glad I didn't get hurt. I learned a lesson. I should have done things a lot differently, including telling the truth about the wine. Now I know exactly what happened, and I know I'm lucky. Imagine, if you dare. Whoa, 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 hold tight. Let's. A podcast so shocking. No, it's not that shocking. It's just. So disturbing. Now you're just being dramatic. That it will chill you to your very core. I don't. Have you even heard the show? There's no escaping. I mean, there is. The horrible just, consequences of. Just press pause, but don't do that. Right day. My name is Byron McCoy, and each week I join my friends Sam and Kelly, where we talk films, monsters, the paranormal, and pretty much all things frightening. From time to time, we talk with like-minded specialists, directors, actors, cryptozoologists, conspiracy theorists, but whether it's the human terror of serial killers and home invasions, or the extra-normal phenomena Kelly covers in her Cryptids and Conspiracies segment, if it bleeds, hacks, stabs, chops, summons, sacrifices, abducts, or bites, it is Fright Day. Every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at FrightDay.com. FrightDay.com. Stop it. You're scaring them. Sorry. Just know that this man I dated is a sick and twisted person that I had met online when I was 18 and ended up dating. He was jealous, controlling, vindictive, abusive in every way possible. And he was filled with sadistic tendencies and rage. So I tried to leave Oscar many, many times. I wasn't happy. In fact, I was in a constant state of panic and absolutely miserable in the relationship that had lasted just a year. Each attempt to leave him was met with threats to hurt me and my family, physically dragging me back, sexually assaulting and purposely trying to impregnate me, threatening to commit suicide or constant stalking and harassment until I surrendered. Finally, I had had enough decided I was not going back no matter what he did. He called my job non-stop and got me into major trouble and did the same at my house, prompting me to unplug the phone line. He texted me to say he promised me he was going to kill himself if I didn't go back to him. Instead of caving in, I called his mom at work and told her. She got a hold of him and said I must have misunderstood because he was clearly fine. I felt I'd done all I could do and told him I'd call the police next time he said something like that, to have them go check on him. The next day, I got a call on my cell from Oscar. I rejected it. He called again, and I rejected it again. 
Then I heard the loud exhaust on his car outside while I looked down at my phone and saw him calling again. I let it go to voicemail while I peeked through the blinds to check if I had truly heard his car, as I had started to falsely hear it sometimes out of paranoia. But this time he was indeed out in front of my house. My phone started ringing again and wanting him to stop I answered it. He told me to come outside. I told him I didn't want to see him. He continued to beg, making a huge effort to sound pleasant. After asking him why he continues to show up at my house and call me while I asked him, actually demanded that he stop doing that, he says he just felt bad about how everything went down and wanted to give me something that he made for me before I broke up with him. He asked me to just come out for a few minutes so he could apologize and then he'd go away and I'd never have to hear from him again. I wasn't sure. I definitely didn't trust him and I told him so. He promised and said convincingly that he drove all the way there to give me what he had made me and just to have a proper goodbye. In hindsight, I should have called BS on all of that immediately, but I was young and still way too controlled by my need to not hurt other people's feelings. I felt bad that he had driven the 40 minutes to my house with something that he had made for me, for me to just refuse to come out. Fine. Only for a few minutes, I stated firmly, and you promise you're not going to beg me back. He promised, and I went outside, opened the passenger side door, and sat down on the seat, leaving the door wide open. He commented that I must think he's going to kidnap me, trying to pass it off like a joke. I told him I just wanted a legroom. He had a bouquet of flowers and some cases of DVDs he'd burned for me, all of the seasons of my favorite TV shows. We talked about a minute, and my cell phone rang. I shouldn't have picked it up, knowing it was a guy from my job, but I was an idiot. I answered it and talked to the guy for less than 30 seconds. Oscar could hear it was a man's voice. I could instantly tell when I saw his head snap to attention in my peripheral vision. When I hung up, he looked at me with fury in his eyes and asked some questions about the caller that I can't even recall now. Before I could reply to whatever he asked, he had slammed on the accelerator and was flying down the street with my door still open. I instinctively pulled my legs into the vehicle and started screaming for him to stop. He didn't seem to even be hearing me. I tried to jump out when he slowed down at intersections and seeing this he grabbed my clothes with his hand and held me in and started making sharp left turns through the neighborhood to force my door to swing shut. Once that was accomplished, I tried to open the door again and he kept hitting the automatic locks to stop me and was constantly increasing his speed to ensure any leap from the car would be dangerous. By now, it was dark outside as well. He was speeding through my town, double the speed limit. I was hoping a police officer would see this and start tailing him and pull him over, but apparently he'd gone completely unseen. He reached the freeway and I started really panicking. He would be able to go even faster here and fast track me wherever he planned to take me. It took maybe three minutes to get to the freeway at the speed he was going, all of which I spent trying to get out of the vehicle. Once he was on the freeway, he started going over 100 miles per hour. I kept looking at the speedometer. It was dark outside and that was much too fast to jump from a moving car on the freeway, with other cars driving high speeds and unable to see me. I still had my phone, so I tried to dial 911. 
I pressed the numbers with my hand shoved down the side of the seat by my window, away from him. But he saw what I was doing and started swerving all over the road while trying to grab my phone. I still don't really know how he managed to get it away from me because every ounce of my being was trying to hold on. He took it, rolled down his window, and threw it out. Rolling his window back up, he flatly said, If I can't have you, then no one will. That sentence made my heart sink. I felt like I was in a Lifetime movie. Oscar was possessed by his need to possess me, and I was trapped. This is when the grim reality started to really set in. He was out of control, and I was out of options. I started screaming for help and pounding on the windows, but Oscar had the tent on those windows so dark that I probably couldn't have been seen, even if it wasn't dark outside. I watched as the people in each car we passed remained blissfully unaware of the chaos going on in the car I was being kidnapped in. I was feeling very defeated, but was running through all the possibilities of how this could go, over and over in my mind trying to figure out how to survive. I decided to stop fighting and acting afraid because the only way I saw myself making it out of this alive was by feeding into Oscar's delusional state. I had no other weapons or means of escape at my disposal, so I decided on psychological warfare. Oscar had this friend named Jose that he had gotten exceedingly close to over the course of our relationship. After a time, it was revealed to me in confidence that Jose had fled from Puerto Rico, supposedly on the run for murder. I saw Oscar was taking the necessary freeway interchanges to get to Jose's place, and knew that even if his friend hadn't really been wanted for murder, he was the type of guy who would do anything for Oscar without moral restriction. Jose and I got along okay, but I knew he'd have no loyalty to me whatsoever. He was nice to me as long as I was an extension of Oscar. I had to act quickly. I proceeded to tell Oscar that I loved him and wished we could be together, but that I didn't see how it could ever work when things like what he was doing right now proved that he never cared about what I wanted. I hadn't necessarily cited that as a reason for wanting out of the relationship before, as it was much more complex than that, but I was hoping it was enough to offer him hope in his state of desperation. I told him I had been considering giving him another chance when I saw the flowers and DVDs, But now that he was refusing to take me home when I asked him to, I was starting to second-guess things. Oscar got off the freeway on Jose's exit and I started trying to formulate a plan for when the car stopped. I knew Jose had neighbors close by and I decided I was going to run as fast as I could and scream at the top of my lungs. I was trying to keep Oscar's mind preoccupied in the meantime though so that he wouldn't think to call Jose and give him a heads up. They usually spoke to each other in Spanish, so I would have no idea what was even said. Oscar told me that he did care about what I wanted and asked if he still had a chance with me if he turned around right now. In an effort to not expose myself with an overly enthusiastic reply, I hesitated a bit and said I thought we could probably work it out and this would be a good place to start. Oscar looped around and got back on the freeway, headed in the opposite direction, back toward my house. The rest of the ride was tense because Oscar was normally so perceptive and I didn't want to reveal myself and end up back in the line of fire. I can't recall what was said on the commute back, but I opted to talk about regular everyday things I'd normally say to him in casual conversation. When we got back to my house and he let me open the door and didn't stop me from leaving, I could finally breathe. 
I got out, taking the flowers and DVDs with me, and waved to him before walking into my house. I walked straight to the garbage bin and threw it all in the trash, and then collapsed on my couch, shaking violently but ultimately so, so grateful to have made it home. The next day I went to the police station and filed a restraining order against him. Within a few years he would be jailed for other appalling crimes and sentenced to 60, that's six zero, years. Until I found that out I never truly felt safe. He's definitely where he belongs, so psychopath I dated that kidnapped me and was likely going to murder me. Let's not meet again. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time. Ha, 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 ha.